0: Good evening. Before we begin, let me mention two things that uh, might be of interest to you. Um, Scott Elliott received an email today, and I saw—I think Richard Hall might have been floating the copy around too. But um, you won't be able to see the picture well, but let me read this caption to you. Private First Class David Kearns is baptized by Task Force Chaplain Captain Ron Cooper, left, and First Lieutenant Brian Case, right, in the desert north of Kuwait City, Wednesday, March 12, 2003. Eight members of the 3rd Infantry Division were baptized in the desert on Wednesday. And glory to our God. Uh, He works all things for good to those who love God. For these young men that are in Kuwait fighting for us, God works all good things for them. And secondly, let me mention, in case you don't know... But as we're here tonight, um, there are several teams, and I don't know exactly how many, from Grace of Van, who are currently out um, doing an evangelism explosion program. They're knocking on doors in our community and uh, hoping to be able to share the good news that we all know and love of uh, Jesus Christ. So um, in case you didn't know that, uh, on Wednesday nights, they're either here training or out um, sharing the gospel. And I think... um, That's a good thing for us to uh, pray for them uh, on a regular basis. Uh, If you would, turn in your scriptures to the book of Jonah. Um, This is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. If you find Matthew and head left, it's one of those small books that will employ probably just two pages of your holy scriptures. Tonight I want us to uh, begin looking at Jonah, and um, my plan is that we will continue looking at Jonah again next week. Follow along with me, if you will, um, as I read the Word of God, and then we will consider it. Uh, I'm going to read uh, 27 verses to you, it happens to be two chapters of Jonah, um, but you all follow along, starting in Jonah 1.1. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "'How can you sleep? Get up and and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish.' Then the sailors said to each other, "'Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity.' They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, "'What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us?' "'Pick me up and throw me into the sea,' he replied, "'and it will become calm. "'I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you.' Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, "'O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. "'Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man.' For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever." But you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now recently I suspect it's true for you also. I've received numerous emails um, concerning the war in Iraq. Uh some of them uh come and give uh encouragement to pray for our soldiers. Uh others um, are information concerning the spiritual um, vitality of our president. Uh others can consider tactical situations that the war may may take on. But I received one email that was a little different. This email was encouraging Christians to to pray for the salvation of Saddam Hussein. Now, when I got this email, this was several weeks ago, I actually looked for it in my deleted file and could not find it, but when I got this email, my first response was to laugh. Now, this wasn't a laugh of, oh my, that's so funny. It was more a laugh of, of disgust. Do you really think that God would save Saddam Hussein? That was a thought that popped in my mind. I quickly agreed with the thought in my head, deleted the email, and deleted the idea to pray for the salvation of Saddam Hussein. Because my mentality was something like this, Saddam Hussein is way too evil for God to save. Certainly God looks for more a man of, of say, better character such as myself, to save. And you all can see the sin, can't you? I put conditions upon or restricted God's grace. Someone as evil as Saddam Hussein doesn't deserve God's grace, but someone of more noble character as myself obviously does. You can see in the sin in my life the restriction that I put upon God's grace. Now, let me make a disclaimer. I believe it is appropriate to be angry and to hate the evil atrocities that a dictator like Saddam Hussein has placed upon his people. I believe it is appropriate to hate um, the, 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 the sinful um, acts of any person. Um, the terrorist acts of fundamentalist Muslims who would desire to kill me. That's fine to hate that evil. Um, The evil of maybe those who uh, seek to make abortions more readily available to our children. I think that's, that's good to hate that evil and that sin. Yet I don't believe it's appropriate for me to restrict God's grace to the sinner. And as I prepared this lesson, I became convicted of my sin, of thinking that Saddam Hussein is way too evil for God to save. I need not even pray for his salvation. Now, when we think of the book of Jonah, I suspect one of the first things that pops into people's minds is um, the prophet being swallowed by a big fish. And we just read of that. That certainly is is a scriptural part of Jonah. However, I think that oftentimes distracts from the real message of Jonah, because the book of Jonah is a book about God's grace, God extending His grace to sinful people. And I want to propose to you all tonight that we ought to do likewise. Our God extends grace to sinful people, and we ought to do likewise, rather than Restrict or place conditions upon God's grace. Now, I want to point out to you all in the, the section of Jonah that we've read three examples of how God extends His grace to sinful people. The first example I want us to look at is to the uh, God extending His grace to the Ninevites. Uh, look with me again, if you will, in the first two verses of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, you may ask yourself, well, who are the Ninevites? Well, to put some context into this, if you will, flip back in your scriptures to the book of 2 Kings. And let's get a little historical perspective here. Look in 2 Kings chapter 19. Uh, verse. <clears throat> Oops, I'm in First Kings. Second Kings, nineteen, verse thirty-six, I believe. Second Kings, nineteen, thirty-six. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Nineveh was a capital city to the Assyrian Empire. So when when God directs the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh, he's directing Jonah to go to the Assyrians. Well that's wonderful. Who are the Assyrians? Well, stay in Second Kings, and let me again put a little historical context on this. Flip back a few chapters to 2 Kings verse 14. And and stay with me for just a moment and hopefully this will make sense in 2 Kings chapter 14, uh, verse 23, we establish that Jeroboam is the king at the time. And then we find in verse 25 the following. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. He was the one, he's referencing Jeroboam, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from libo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, The God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. Now, don't worry about the borders and all that, but understand that Jonah is the prophet who spoke to King Jeroboam. And scholars say that King Jeroboam was a king of Israel, the northern kingdom, in the 8th century, from about 781 to 753 BC. Okay, don't don't get lost in the dates. Now, Assyria was an empire that controlled Israel during the 8th century. And Assyria was the empire that conquered Israel in about, I believe it was 723 B.C., and took the Israelites and shipped them off to other countries. So when we read in the book of Jonah that God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, what God is telling Jonah to do is, Jonah Go to your enemies. Now, how does God extend grace to the Assyrians, to the enemies of Israel? Well, if you'll look, we just read about that in verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. God sends a prophet to Nineveh, And the purpose of this prophet is to preach against the wickedness of Assyria. Now, what is God's intention here? What would be God's intention for sending a prophet to confront and convict the Assyrians of their sin? Well, I believe the Scriptures answer that for us. Again, if you will, turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. verses 7 and 8. We find out the heart of God here in Jeremiah. He reveals some of that to us. Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8. This is the Lord speaking, "...if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I, I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned." God's intention of sending a prophet to Assyria to preach against it, against the wickedness of Assyria, is so that they will repent and they will turn and turn to God. That is God extending grace to the Assyrians, to the enemies of Israel. Now let me, let me illustrate this same point through the words of our Savior Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus teaches. You don't need to turn there, I'll I'll read it to you. Um, Jesus is teaching His disciples. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, we read from our Savior. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And in the end of this section, in verse 36, we read, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And then, our Savior on the cross, after being spit upon, beaten, ridiculed, nailed to a cross, prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see our Savior extending grace to His enemies, commanding us to extend grace to our enemies, and we see God sending a prophet to the enemy of Israel, to extend grace to them. Now what do you and I do with that tonight? Well, the reality is is we have enemies. Currently, we're at war with an evil regime of Iraq. They're certainly our enemies. There are fundamentalist Muslims who desire to see our downfall and plot terrorist activities against us. There are groups and organizations that seek to advance the cause of what they call pro-choice. They seek to advance the cause of abortion in our land. There are those who seek to remove the name of God from our public places in our land. There may be somebody who currently has a lawsuit against you. There may be somebody who is falsely accusing you. We have enemies Do you harbor hatred in your heart for your enemies? Pray that God's grace would regenerate their souls. Do we restrict or put conditions upon the grace that God desires to extend? Or do we follow the commands of our Savior and do we pray for our enemies? Do we pray for those who seek our destruction? Do we pray for their salvation? Again, let me make a side note. I'm not, I'm not saying do we condone what they do. Do we cow to their demands? But do we pray for their souls? A second group that God extends His grace to in Jonah is the sailors. Now, this is a group of people that uh, once Jonah received this command from God, he. and we find out in verse 3... Um, he ran away from God, and he goes and he finds a ship heading to Tarshish, and he pays his fare, and he gets on the ship, and um, he encounters a group of sailors. Now, these were not Jonah's enemies. Um, you can deduce from the scriptures that they were probably not Israelites because the scriptures mention that they prayed to their God, so they're pagan. They don't believe in Yahweh. So they were probably just sinful people that are outside the kingdom of God that Jonah encountered. And you may ask, well, how does God extend His grace to them? Well, notice in the Scriptures, first thing that we see God doing is God reveals who He is to these sailors. Uh, As the story goes, a storm comes up. The sailors are terrified. They're praying to their gods. The captain finds Jonah asleep down in the hold, wakes him up and says, pray to your God and we'll find out what's going on. The storm continues to grow, so the sailors decide to cast lots to see who is the cause of this calamity. The lot falls on Jonah. So they look to Jonah and say, Who are you? What's going on? Where are you from? And Jonah responds in verse 9. Look there with me if you will. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. God reveals who he is to these sailors, to these sinful people outside the kingdom of God. Another thing that God does to extend His grace to these sailors is He reveals His power. Um, As the story goes, uh, the storm continues to rage. The sailors ask Jonah, what in the world should we do? Jonah says, throw me in the sea. They first don't do that. But then in in, in verse 15, we find out that they do. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. God reveals His power, and the result of that is they worship Yahweh and make vows to Him. God extends His grace to the sailors, to sinful people who are outside the kingdom of God. Now think for a few moments about your own life about the people that you encounter on a daily basis a neighbor a coworker, worker um, people in stores um, family members each of us most likely encounters people who are not our enemies yet are most likely sinful people that are outside the kingdom of God do we restrict God's extension of His grace to them Is my heart calloused toward these people? Has sin dulled my concern for their salvation in their soul? Sin has certainly dulled my concern. Is there sin in our lives that has has distracted us away from the grace that God extends to sinful people who are outside His kingdom? Do I pray for these people? Am I aware of them? Do I seek opportunities to share the grace that God has lavished upon me? Now, let me again say, I believe it's appropriate to be angry at the sinful behaviors of people, whether it be those seeking to harm me or those engaged in sin in the culture. But I do not believe it is appropriate for us to lose our concern for the lost souls of men and women that we encounter day in and day out. Some may even be engaged in open sin. Homosexuals, Muslims, Hindus, those people that, that worship false gods. Atheists, those that are sexually promiscuous. Do we have a burden for the sinful people who are outside the kingdom of God that we encounter day in and day out? Or is my heart calloused by some sin and I hardly even go there and think about it or pray for them? Do you have people that you have identified as being outside of the kingdom of God that you pray for regularly? Our pastor, Jimmy, six for six, isn't that what he calls it? Well, I think it's appropriate for us to ask ourselves Do I pray for the lost? Do I have a burden for the lost, sinful people of this world? A third group of, or a third person that God extends his grace to is a disobedient prophet. Now let's look at Jonah's disobedience here. Immediately in verse 3, we find But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, if I was a map and my chest right here was Israel, to my left, would that be right? Yeah. To my left would be Nineveh, would be the Assyrian capital um, of Nineveh. To my right would be what scholars believe would be Tarshish. Jonah does a 180. God says, go that way. Jonah goes this way. God says, go across the desert to Nineveh. Jonah hops in a ship and heads the opposite direction. He's disobedient, and you see his sin there. But his sin doesn't even stop there. Um, If you'll see the callousness of Jonah. A storm comes up. The sailors are terrified and concerned about what's occurring around them. And what is Jonah doing? Look in the latter half of verse 5. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Could that possibly be us? Our culture is in tremendous concern, tremendous anxiety. Are we down in a hold sleeping? You see the callousness that the sin in Jonah's life has created. But I believe it goes even further. Um, Jonah doesn't even repent of his sin, even though he's identified it and can articulate it to those sinful people, those sinful sailors he's around. Look in uh, in verse 10. Jonah has identified who he is, and that he is... Well, let's read verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And then in verse 10... This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Jonah is aware of his sin and does not repent. He allows the sailors to suffer in their anxiety and concern and does not repent of his sin. And then I believe Jonah dumps quite a dilemma upon these sailors. He continues Look in verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they ask him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And the prophet of God responds, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and we'll become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah knows he's at fault. He knows the answer. And he puts the dilemma upon them. You all pick me up and throw me in the sea. I'm not going to jump overboard. You see how self-absorbed he's become in his sin and how calloused he is toward those people around him. But God extends His grace to the disobedient prophet prophet Jonah. Look back in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. God sends a storm. He uses all of nature to confront The disobedience in his prophet. As our Father in heaven does, as he loves us so much, he disciplines those he loves. God sends a storm to extend his grace to Jonah. The sailors cast a lot in verse 7. And who does the lot fall upon? Jonah. God uses a lot to extend his grace to Jonah. Then we come to the more famous section of Jonah where we find the fish. The fish is an example of God's grace extended into Jonah's life. For the sailors picked Jonah up, cast him into the sea, and look in verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now I suspect the belly of a fish is dark, cold, smelly, and it's not a place you can get very comfortable But it's an example of God's grace extended to Jonah. While he's in there, look in verse 7 of chapter 2. We see some of the words of Jonah. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. God's grace extended to Jonah and we see God's discipline in his life. And then, to me, one of the most beautiful pictures of God's grace in Jonah's life is verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God continues to use a disobedient prophet to extend His grace to His enemies. Now, Jonah failed to recall the grace that had been granted to him when God first commanded him to go to Nineveh. Instead, he disobeyed his father's command because he harbored hate in his heart for the Assyrians. I think it's imperative for us to remember that before God extended grace to us, we were his enemies Romans chapter 5 verse 10 for if when we were God's enemies our recollection and our awareness of the grace that that has been extended to us I believe directly affects the grace we extend to others when my awareness of the grace that has been extended to me is is dulled by my sin I do not extend grace to those around me, whether they're my enemies or whether they're just sinful people outside the kingdom of God. So I believe an imperative thing for us to do is to remain aware of the grace that's been extended to us. Saddam Hussein is an evil man. Jonathan Todd is an evil man. those people who do evil in our land, whether it be those who may um, murder somebody or torture somebody or um, steal or be engaged in sexual sins, it's imperative for us to remember that there I go except for the grace of God. Except for the grace that God has extended to me, where would I be? What evil would I be doing to people. And it is it is when I am aware of the love of God that has been lavished upon me and the grace that God has extended to me that is where I am able to then extend grace to my enemies and to sinful people outside the kingdom of God. <clears throat> God extends his grace to sinful people and we ought to do likewise. I challenge you and I implore you tonight allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to see if there's any sin any hatred toward enemies is there a a lack of concern a lack of burden for lost souls around us and if so confess that sin and repent of it and then may by God's grace we find opportunities to pray for lost souls and may the Holy Spirit draw those lost souls to him let's pray dear only Father I do thank you for your loving discipline in our lives I thank you Father for making me aware of the sin that I harbored in my heart I do confess Father that that is sin and I pray your forgiveness of it I pray your Holy Spirit would continue to search our hearts and convict us of sin Father and I pray that You would remind us of the grace that You have lavished upon us. And Father, may You create a burden and a burning desire in each of us to pray for not only our enemies, but Father, to pray for those sinful people that are outside Your kingdom that are all around us. Father, I pray You will use Grace Evangelical Church to spread the good news that we find in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this will be a place where people develop a passion and a burden for lost men and women. And Father, may this be a a place that brings much glory to you. Father, I do pray for those teams of, of Grace of Ann members that are currently outside right now knocking on doors because those are people who have a burden for the lost men and women of Memphis, Tennessee. I pray, Father that the, the burden they have will catch among all of us. And Father, may it be on a Wednesday night, there's no one here to listen to anybody preach, because we're all out knocking on doors. Father, I do lift up, I lift up the lost in Memphis, and Father, I lift up Saddam Hussein to you. And if it be your will, Father, I pray that you will draw him to you. It is because of Christ and in Christ's name that we pray tonight. Amen.